Okay, one verse this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Philippians 4, verse 5, it reads this way, depending on your translation. The New King James, it says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Uh, In this section of chapter 4, we are being given a bunch of commands from God by Paul. Uh, We saw that kind of begin last week as the Lord uh, spoke through Paul and implored Yodia and Syntyche with some specific things, but they also applied to us, of course, as well. And now we're into this section where we've got a bunch of different commands uh, that Paul is delivering to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, these are commands that are essential to the Christian life. And throughout the scriptures, we see again and again two important principles when it comes to commandments. First, God's commands are given to us for our benefit. He gives them to us because he wants good things for us, not because he's a cruel taskmaster or a manipulator. Um, And that's something that I know I need to remember. We all in our hearts as fallen human beings have a a certain propensity towards rebellion. Um, And so it's good to remember that God gives us commands not because he is power hungry or wants to jerk his people around, but because he wants good things for us. They're given to us for our benefit. In fact, we know that the Lord is a gracious and generous master who has brought us into his household, uh, not as slaves, but as friends and heirs out of the kindness of his own heart. And so that's the first principle we know about the commandments of God. The second is that we know that God's commands are his enablings. That's what we say uh, often here in our studies of the word. God holds us responsible for our actions. Therefore, because he is just, he will never command us to do something that we are unable to do. So the Lord looks down on our lives and individually says, I I command you to do this, but he is a God of love and he is a God of justice and he is a God of, you know, uh, uh, even scales. And so he cannot command us to do something that we are unable to do. We can do all the things that we're mandated to do and not to do in the Bible because God gives us the power to do it even as he speaks those commandments to us. And so when the scriptures command us to forgive, for example... We can do it and we must do it if we desire to live in the fullness that Jesus Christ offers to his people in the Bible. And so today we've come to a text that is uh, very plain, but it is very personal as well. It is a straightforward commandment that is applied to every Christian this morning. And so we cannot just cruise past this and think, yeah, I agree with that, but then don't do anything about it or don't bring application into our lives. Uh, We see examples of when God's people cruise past God's word all the time in the Bible and in our own lives, you know, today. David, we saw on Sunday, cruised past the command not to multiply wives. And what happened? It absolutely destroyed his family and almost brought down the entire nation of Israel as his son rebelled against him because of it. Adam and Eve cruised past the commandment to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, they plummeted all of creation and humanity into sin. So when we approach God's word and we see even a plain commandment in there that we think, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, but if we cruise, we may agree with it philosophically or we may say, yeah, that's great. If we cruise past that and and fail to conform our lives to it and fail to apply it to ourselves, uh, we are in, in for some hurt. And so when God sets a regulation or a mandate before us, we must take those things to heart and apply them to our lives, to actually conform our behavior and our living and our mindset to what the Lord has said. Because when we don't, we are now directing ourselves toward the path of Lot, 
the path of Jonah, the path of all of those who missed out on what God really wanted for their lives on the earth and for their reward in eternity. Remember, God gives us these things for our benefit so that we can have the life that he desires we have. So we take this text seriously here in Philippians and we discover that it has two parts. It has a command and then it has a motivation to complete the command. The command is the entree. It's the main course of this verse. And so at the beginning there, Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Obviously, the key word there is gentleness. Uh, That is where our attention is drawn. Now, what's interesting about this particular word uh, is that despite the fact that it's only used five times, this particular Greek word, only used five times in the New Testament, it's always used in epistles, uh, used by uh, Peter, James, and Paul, However, the the full meaning and understanding of this word is very rich and very extensive as linguists look into it and see how it is used. Among other things, it can mean gentleness, patience, moderation, reasonableness, unselfishness, forbearance, goodwill. And that's just some of the ways that it, it is understood by linguists and commentators. In the King James, the word that appears there is the word moderation. Uh, Speaking on this text, one Bible commentator puts it this way, and I think it's a good definition. He says, moderation or gentleness means meekness under provocation, readiness to forgive injuries, equity in the management of business, candor in judging of the characters and actions of others, sweetness of disposition, and the entire government of the passions. So we see that this one word, a word that we don't usually use a lot to describe other people anymore, uh, has an incredible uh, depth of meaning. It seems like something that is a little bit hard to kind of get our minds around, especially culturally, uh, until you know we remember how Jesus Christ is described in the New Testament and how we see him living in the Gospels. Let me just read you a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, Paul says, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Matthew 11:29 Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." And so we see in the New Testament that Jesus Christ lived as an example for us to follow, and he gave us a pattern to emulate in how we honor God, how we interact with other people, and how we speak and behave in the human life. And we see that he was a gentle example. He was a moderate and meek example in following after the Lord. But not only that, we also see that God has sent this gentleness he's commanding down to us as human beings. James 3.17 But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. So we see that this gentleness that we are commanded to is also immediately supplied to us by heaven if we're willing to receive it. Once again, we see that this life we're called to is about choices. We have the supply, we have the example, we have the mandate, we have a mission, and now it's up to us to decide whether we're going to walk in the Spirit or whether we are not going to walk in the Spirit today. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the deal, that's the decision we get to make. Whether we will live as Christians or whether we will not live as Christians today. And here, Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. And it strikes me that something cannot be known unless it is shown to a person. I can tell you that I'm the world's greatest chess player. I can tell you that I can run a four-minute mile. I can tell you that I'm able to command the wind and the waves at my own discretion. I can tell you whatever I want. 
But what matters is if I can show you those things, if I can prove those things to you. Uh, if two people are in together and they're you know, building something or they're in some sort of jam or dilemma and one says to the other, hey, I know how to fix this. The other will invariably say, okay, show me. Show me that you know how to fix this. Don't tell me that you know how to fix this and just wait for it to magically happen. And so what we find as we look into God's word is that we are not called to be theoretical Christians where you know, we live life and our faith in, in a sort of vacuum. And if certain situations arose, then we would have a philosophical answer as to what the best solution would be. It's not just a, a textbook faith. You know, we're called to a hands-on, field-working, disciple-making faith that actually happens in the real world. Jesus comes along. And he gives us a mission and the equipment to carry out that mission with heavenly peace and joy filling up our hearts. And he calls us to live our lives out in front of the world so that others might be drawn to that light and find salvation. Uh, he gives it to us in very plain and very simple terms. He says, look, the world is the kingdom of darkness. You are now members of the kingdom of light. And when you become a Christian, I make you a shining light in the kingdom of darkness. And so you're going to stick out, you're intended to stick out like a sore thumb, like a candle in, in complete blackness of night. And of course we're supposed to shine our lives and our Christianity before the people of the world. And so Paul here says God is gentle, so he is calling you to gentleness with all that that entails. Let that gentleness be known to all men. And we saw how gentleness is this big word which has a lot of different facets and, and perspectives, but we see them demonstrated in Christ. And so what we're called to is the life of Christ here, the, the way that he interacted with people and the way that he shared with people and the way that he was long-suffering with people and the heart that he had, that gentle and lowly heart. And, and so whether those around us are friend or foe, we are called to be Jesus to them. We are called to show gentleness to them. Whether it's a supporter or an adversary, a co-laborer or an opponent, we're called to love those people no matter who they are and share the truth with them the way that Jesus did. We are called to his Christ-like gentleness, which means that we are called to meekness, to patience, to unselfishness, to long-suffering and all the other things that we see him doing. What's so great is, you know, we're commanded to do this. Yes, it's the wisdom that is gentle, supplied from heaven, but we also aren't left there to figure it out. It's like, hey, if you want to know in all of the, what to do in all these different situations, open up the gospel, see exactly what Jesus did and how he behaved, there you go. There's the model that you can conform your heart to. You just have to choose to do it. So we're called to see people as Jesus sees them and we're called also to moderation in life. That's the other side of this word gentleness. Not being swayed to extremes of doctrine or extremes in physical indulgence. Not called to extreme severity when dealing with those that we might disagree with. We're called to moderation. The way that Jesus lived that out. Showing grace to people and showing long-suffering to people. And uh, not being uh, uh, you know, swayed to extreme indulgence here on the earth. And it makes perfect sense because we know that a man who walks with God is a man who is at peace, not just with the Almighty, but with the people around him as well. You know, lots of stuff in the Bible talking about how, hey, if you say you love God and you hate the people around you, there's a disconnect. And those two things do not equate. They are mutually exclusive. And so if we are at peace with God, we're going to be at peace with others. 
We're able then to hear from God and to be used by God who loves those people around us. So if we're at peace with God and if we're walking with God and if God loves the people around us and desires that they become uh, uh, his people, that they not perish but be brought to repentance, then of course he is going to fill our lives with a mission to go out and show love and truth to those people. And so... Uh, If we're at peace with God, then we are able to be moved around this mission field to do the work that God wants us to do. And so a person who has at peace with God is going to be at peace with others. And they're going to interact with others the way that Jesus did. But this incredible plan and equipping that the Lord has for his people is not theoretical. It's not just something that would be great if it happened. It's not just a screenplay for our lives. It's real. And it requires us to submit under his master plan. It requires us to actually take God's word to heart and then mold our lives to it actively. It means that God is asking me to go out of this place today and show loving patience to all men. That's what this text is saying. That's what uh, uh, the call of discipleship says. God is asking me to remove selfishness as Christ did from my heart and replace it with moderation and self-control so that I can gently and reasonably reach out to those who are without hope today that God brings into my path. That is what God is asking of each of us as his people. It's not easy, but it is possible. It's absolutely possible. And we then have some motivation given to us to move forward in this commandment. It's the second half of verse 5. It says, The Lord is at hand. Uh, the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near, is how that can be translated. It's a wonderful and important reminder. Now, as is often the case, there are two sides to this coin. Uh, the first side is the fact that Christ's return for us is imminent. Uh, we work hard to remind ourselves of that every single week here at Calvary. Today may be our last day on earth, either individually in death or corporately in the rapture. Either way, however we look at it, my time before the Bema is very near. The Lord is near. He is at hand. And I don't want to... Uh, uh, have failed to finish my race. I want to be able to say like Paul, man, I've completed my race. I've done what the Lord wanted me to do. I was on the track that he set me on. I I don't want to be on a water break while a sub is covering my spot when the Lord comes back. I don't want that. Uh, I want to do what he's called me to do. And that's what we all want. We all want that. The problem is we're imperfect and the world is a tough place and so we get distracted, we get bogged down. So we need to keep the nearness of the Lord's coming in our thoughts each day so that we are motivated by that moment when we are before him, by that moment when we're presenting ourselves as part of his bride and and he reveals to us all that he's done for us while heaven waited for our arrival. And so because we live in a fallen world and because we have a sin nature within us, one of the things that helps us combat those distractions and combat those weights that seek to beset us is to remember that, yeah, I might only have a few more minutes or a few more hours or, you know, or a few more seconds left before I am before the Lord. And I want to have completed what he set before me to do. I don't want to, you know... Uh, dig a hole and bury the Lord's resources and and his talents into the ground and just wait for the master to return and be like, well, here's what you entrusted with me. I didn't lose any of it. Because that doesn't please God. That doesn't please the heart of God. What we want is to be faithful servants who complete what God sets before us. So that's the first side of that coin, remembering that the Lord is at hand. His return for us is near, either in death or the rapture. But the second side of that coin is that the Lord is near us right now. Bible commentary, the commentator, excuse me, uh, Dr. Robert Gromecki 
points out that the word for at hand here can refer both to time or place. Uh, and, and the time of the Lord's coming is at hand, but the Lord himself is near us at this very moment. He, the time of his return is near, it is at hand, but the Lord is physically near to us right now. The Holy Spirit is within us, not a power, not a force, as many people are starting to believe in the Christian church in America, but he is a person who is with us as we walk. And so we are congregated also together here, and the Lord says, okay, when you congregate together as my people, when you come together in my name, then I come near you in a special way. And then when you go out of here individually, I'm still with you. I'm still near you. I'm within you. My Holy Spirit, who is a person, is within you. And so God is near you right now. Uh, he sees your life. He sees your relationships. He sees your struggles. He, and he's offering you peace and purpose in life. He's offering you a life that comes packaged with joy and satisfaction and a purpose and, and, and a, a race to run and a, a path to follow. But this life that he's offering requires that we lay aside our human heart and our human understanding and that we take on the heart and the life of Christ and say, okay, Lord, I don't want you know, the trappings of my humanity. I would like to lay that aside and take on the life of Christ, which is offered to me. It requires that we follow the Lord's directives. You know, that's the whole thing. So God says, here's the, you know, the goal that I have for you. Here's all the good things I want for your life. Here's what I want to do in and through you. And we say, yeah, Lord, I want that too. How do we do that? And he says, okay, well, this is how you do it. Boom, 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 boom. These are the directives and the directions that I'm giving you so that you can get where you want to go and where I want to, you to go. So that we can work out this completion as you live life on earth. And so it requires that we follow the Lord's directives as revealed in his word, as we follow his direction. And this morning we're directed to put on gentleness, to put on the meekness and the moderation that we see in Christ. That is the directive. It's very plain, but it's personal to us. That is the path that leads to fullness of peace and fullness of joy in the Lord. Uh, it's Christmas time and God rest you merry gentlemen is a classic Christmas carol. But in that simple title, we see kind of the plan of God for our lives as described in the letter to the Philippians, that we receive the rest that God wants for us, that we receive his joy as we put on Christ and truly become gentlemen in the heavenly sense, men who are full and useful and at peace, not just with God, but with men as well. And so today, let your gentleness, your submission to God, let your Christianity be known to all men. Don't hide it away. Don't let it be theoretical, but live it out on purpose because the Lord is at hand. He is with you. He's enabling you. He's directing you. He's supplying you. And you are moments away from being with him. He's moments away from removing you from earth and installing you for an eternity in heaven, glorified and complete.